0: Morning again, and uh, welcome to Jericho Road Church. Glad you guys are joining us here and online. I know we've got several of our good friends that are uh, online for birthday vacations and in Korea and all over the place, uh, joining us in Thailand and and all over the place. So thank you, God, that we have the ability to send all over the world. And uh, thank you guys for taking time and being here this morning. We're going to start out with our our shouts. You ready for this? Uh, What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God, and I love you, and I hope that is the absolute confession of your uh, heart. You could turn to someone, if you have a special loved one next to you, and say, I love you extra special, if you're sitting by someone next to you that you're feeling all good about that. These newlyweds sit in the front, and so they always want to do that little extra one. So good morning, and welcome to church, and our new series called Lambs. Now, the Bible talks a lot about a lot of different animals. Uh, It talks about uh, rules for raising animals, how to use them, which ones you can eat, which ones you can't eat. Uh, Some of the animals in the Bible even have spiritual and symbolic significance, like the serpent and Satan, or like uh, the dove and the Holy Spirit. But one animal is used literally and symbolically more than any of the other animals in all of Scripture, and that is the mighty lamb. That's it. That guy. He is in the scripture more than any other animal. The importance of this animal as a reality and as a deeper symbol of the work and the provision of God, it's really significant, this lamb. Now, a lamb is a baby sheep. I know, dropping knowledge right there, you know. So now you can brag to your friends like, you know, my pastor, he's so smart and insightful. Just this week, he helped us realize that lambs were baby sheep. I know, that's facts. And so I mention it really because I'm going to use lambs and sheeps kind of interchangeably, and so does the Bible. Sometimes they'll talk about a sacrifice of a lamb, and it could be a sheep. It doesn't have to, they don't measure the age. It's like three months, oh, it's four months, now you can't sacrifice it, something like that. And so the Bible kind of uses it interchangeably. So that's why I give you that little bit of nugget. So um, let's see the mighty lamb in action. It may start as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Where Adam and Eve had just sinned, they realized they were naked, and uh, they're like, ah, we're naked, and they tried to cover with a couple of leaves, and God did something for them. In Genesis three twenty one. the Lord God made garments of skin, animal skin, for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, this doesn't mention a lamb specifically, but I, I think it's an interesting thing to keep in mind, and I want you to keep this idea in mind, that some animal, possibly a lamb, died to cover Adam and Eve's mistake or their sin or their shame. So just keep that in mind. Some animal died to cover them up. Then we see it again possibly in Cain and Abel, just a, uh, a chapter later in Genesis 4, 2-4. Now Abel, he kept flocks, and Cain, he worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God. But, but Abel, he brought an offering also fat portions from among the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked on favor uh, with favor on Abel in his offering. Here again, like it could possibly be a cow, but cows are in herds, not in flocks, and so this one would would probably be either a sheep or maybe possibly a goat. And but I would say that the 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 term flock here would lean it toward a sheep. Now Here it's used as an offering to God. Now this is the time before the law had been given, so there was no commandment that you had to sacrifice an animal to God. There was no such law yet of Moses, and so um, that hadn't been given. So this was just really a thanks to God. He brought this thing, said, God, I want to give this over to you. And so here we have an animal sacrificed to facilitate a critical exchange between man and God first time, an animal dies to cover sin. The second time, to facilitate a relation building between man and God. And then then we see it again in Genesis 8. In Genesis 8 and 20, then Noah built an ark to the Lord. And uh, uh, after, you guys are pretty familiar with Noah's flood. The flood happens to get out of the boat. And after that, he takes some of the clean animals and the clean birds. And he sacrifices a burnt offering on it. Uh, and he gives a sacrifice to God. Now, certainly lambs were sacrificed at this point because they're clean animals and they were included in Noah's thanksgiving offering to God. Thanking God for God's provision through the worldwide flood. So now we have this offering given of of lambs that say, God, thank you for saving me from this, this flood that happened. And again, here we have it with Abram, just another few chapters later, Genesis 22. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife and as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, he's like, hey dad, father, and, and Abraham says, like, yes, my son. And he goes, I see the fire and the wood here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering?" And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. And then God does provide. Now Abraham was commanded and he obeyed God. The command that God had given Abraham that Isaac may or may not have been aware of was to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so But as he's walking up there, he doesn't say, Isaac, you're the one. What Abraham says is, I know God will provide. He said something ridiculous like, I'm going to have to sacrifice my son. But God has also promised that through this son, Isaac, uh, he would have grandkids and a nation. And so Abraham knows that the kid won't die per se. But he said, I'm going to trust God. I I, I trust God and then I'm going to obey God even though I don't understand how it's going to work. And he tells him, God will provide the lamb to take care of this obligation. So Abraham's faith and obedience then, because he listens to God and then obeys God, that's going to result in an incredible blessing creating the entire nation of Israel through this guy, Abraham. There was no such thing as Jews or Israel before Abraham. He's the father. That's why we go, Father Abraham. That's why, because he's the father of this nation. Now, for our main text today, this takes place in a time when Israel was slaves to Egypt, and it's very familiar to you probably, the time uh, you have heard of the plagues and, and let my people go, and uh, you know, Prince of Egypt, if you saw that cartoon or whatever, you know, it's that, that kind of thing. And so um, God had sent Moses to free his people. He did a bunch of signs and a bunch of miracles, and then he's about to do a final one. Now, through each of the plagues, God has provided for protection and for uh, deliverance of the people. Now God, He says, I'm about to kill the firstborn of every single person in this land, both Egyptians and Israelites. God says, I'm killing, I'm showing you a sign right here, and it's for everybody. And I'm going to kill the firstborn of every every uh, person in the entire land of Egypt. Unless, unless you follow these specific instructions. Here are the instructions. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be uh, for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, then they can share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people who are there. Now you're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with uh, what each person is going to eat. The animal you must choose must be a year old male without defect and you may take them from the sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and they're to put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses where they will eat the lambs. That same night they're to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread without yeast. Now don't eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire, with the head, the legs, and the internal organs. Don't leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you gotta burn it. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, and your sandals on your feet, and, and your staff in hand, eat it in haste, as it's going to be the Lord's Passover. And on that same night I, I will pass through Egypt and I'm going to strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment On all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you, and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, that is some really specific instructions. But each of the parts of the instructions have meaning. God says, I'm going to save the whole community, but only those who are willing to listen to my voice, only those who are willing to do the thing I ask them to do. He says the the animal must be perfect to be acceptable. You can't use like a jacked up one that's about to die anyway, and you're like, well, I'll just just use this one, you know. Sort of like maybe Cain's offering back in the day. The The animal's got to be perfect, and... And you must use the blood to signify to God that your family believes him and is willing to do what he asks. You are to trust God and you are to obey. Then eat the rest of it. None could be left to rot. You are imbibing God's provision and protection into yourself. Eat it in haste because God's going to preserve you and then he's going to demand that you leave the place where you are. He's going to save you, but he's not going to let you stay there. He's going to tell you, you've got to leave this place after I save you. And you've got to leave it in haste. Leave your old life to find a new one. And then that lamb's blood causes the wrath of God to pass over you and your household. Now, some of you keen church ob- observers will notice that uh, this may have some Jesus parallels. And we're going to see that next week. Where, where Jesus is really the fulfillment of of this idea that we're seeing first here. We're going to check that out more deeply next week. There's a little bit more that God tells in Exodus, continuing in this passage. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families, and then slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and, and put some of the blood on the top and the side of your door frames. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until the morning. When the Lord goes through the land, he's going to strike down Egyptians and and he'll see the blood on the top and the sides of your doorframe and he's going to pass over your doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions. Obey them as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord is going to give you as he promises you, observe this ceremony And when your children ask you, like, what are we doing? Why do we do this? What does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them this. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and they worshiped and the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight that night, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and the Egyptians, they got up during the night and there was this loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Now this seems like a really strange out. Lamb's blood and all that. Unless we consider the previous role of the lamb in God's economy, in God's dealing with people. This took effort on the people's part. They had to trust God enough to do a really bizarre thing. They had to kill an animal and put blood all over their house. That's very strange. And then you've got to eat it. So it's not just for the outside of your door frame, but it's going to be taken into yourself. It becomes then intensely personal and intimate. And, and I try to, like, we've heard about this kind of stuff, and I try to take myself back whenever I hear the Bible and imagine that in reality. So we know what happens, like, ultimately they get saved and they go to the promised land and they sing a song at the end of the movie, I mean, in the Bible. Um, but So we hear it as a story, cause we, and, and we know the result of it, but imagine living this. Where God's like, here, I need you to kill these animals, and you need to put the blood all over it. Then you need to eat it. Don't leave a part, or you can get punished. And I'm going to kill a whole ton of people. And I'm going to kill you unless you do this. <laughs> and I'm like, what on earth? OK, how do I do this? Say the instructions again. I don't know about you, but like, I forget instructions. So <laughs> I've been like, could you write that down? And I was like, yeah. Could you say it again? And I'll be like, hey, babe, pay attention, because we need to get this right. Like, I said, what kind of, kind of hyslop? Do we, do we have hyslop? Is that a, that, that's a branch? Will parsley do? You know, like, can I substitute things? Like, what's allowed? Like, you know, I'd have so many questions. I'd be so worried. Uh, So it would be absolutely weird. Now, these people have been in captivity for 400 years. They've never been a free people. Their parents weren't free people. Their parents' parents, not for for 10 generations almost, maybe eight generations, they haven't been free. And God's saying, I'm about to free you. I'm going to send you to this new place. But you have to do this bizarre ritual before you go. And leading up to this, all this scary supernatural stuff has been happening, like uh, plagues and hail and bugs and darkness. And God's saying, like, trust me, I'm going to lead you out of all this. And, and I don't know about you, but that, it just seems like so much. If this was your reality, you were trying to live through this, and, and he's saying, like, death's coming, you've got to do this. Like, I don't know, it's so overwhelming. It's so big, it's so huge, it's so intense. Absolutely terrifying. So sometimes I think things in my life are tough and and a little bit strange. But this is like like tap out tough. Like you know, like sometimes God asked me to do like this small thing and I think it's all hard. God's telling them to leave everything they've known for the last 8 generations, kill animals, put blood, trust in the midst of death that's coming all around and then and then flee as soon as I say go, grab your stuff and run this place. Which place? I'll tell you on the way. Like, what do you mean tell me on the way? Why don't you tell me now? I can map it out. I can get to the right, you know, the provisions I need, and I can, you know. God's like, no, just listen to this and obey. God's asking them to trust and obey. In their most difficult time, and the most outrageous thing that anyone has ever asked of anyone, God is saying, just trust and obey. God says, I'm going to provide and I'm going to protect, but only if you trust and obey. There is a consequence for those who don't believe it, so that I don't believe it, so I'm not going to do that, and they end up losing their firstborn kid. And there are probably some people like, oh, I see God doing stuff, I believe it, but now nah, that sounds too bizarre, I'm not going to do it. People are going to notice me, it's going to be too weird. And they didn't do it, and they had a consequence. Those that were able to escape from the consequence of this are those who trusted and obeyed in conjunction. Now that's true not only for For Moses, but it was true for Noah. He had to trust and obey. It was true for Abraham, and it's true for Moses, and it's the same thing is true for us even today. If we want to see God move, if we want to be part of God's plans, if we want to see his miracles in life, we need to trust and obey. Not trust and wait. Not not just believe and hope, but trust and obey. So perhaps God is calling you to something crazy. He's, he's calling you to actually tithe. I mean, really. Like your actual 10% of your whole income. God's asking you to do that. Now, this is scary, because, and it takes incredible faith because finances are already tight. You don't have an extra 10%. So how can I possibly give that to you, God? I, I, I barely pay my bills now. 10% is going to put me at a deficit. But God asks you to do it, maybe... And then he asks you to just trust and obey. If you want to see God's miraculous provision, the only way to step into that miraculous provision is to trust and obey. Perhaps God's calling you to open your own business or go into uh, change schools, maybe. Go into a new school or spend six months as a missionary. I don't know what God will call you to do, but when he does, you ought to trust him and obey. Perhaps God's been putting it on your family's heart to adopt, but you've got so many questions and there's so many worries and there's so many excuses. Well, do you want to see God's miracle or not? If you do, then you have to just trust and obey. Perhaps God's been telling you to share Jesus with your friends at school or or even invite them to church, but you're kind of scared and, and you're worried what they're going to think. And you have a, a million other self-doubts and worries and that kind of stuff. But if you want to see God's miracles in your life and your friend's life, you have to trust and obey. Now not not trust what I tell you, and not what anyone else tells you. But when God tells you something, not not what people or church or anybody, but when God speaks to you and he tells you to do something, you've got to trust and obey. When he speaks we can either step into the miracle by believing and obeying, or we can miss out on it because we don't obey. Or perhaps we obey grudgingly or or without faith. But time and time again in the Bible, we have to trust and obey. It's like a car and gasoline. You, you can't drive, you can't get anywhere unless you have both of them. If you just have a car without gas, you just sit there, you don't go anywhere. If you have gasoline without a car, it's just really toxic, and you'll get sick. The same is with trust and obey. You can't just do the things of God without trusting him. It doesn't get you anything. You won't see the miracles of God. That's legalism. You can't just believe and do nothing. That won't allow you to see the miracles of God either, because God asks us to both trust and obey. You have to have a car and gas to get somewhere. In my wife and I's life, uh, in our first adoption, like we knew that God wanted us to adopt. Like even when we were dating, Hitchin and I were talking about, you know, you have that conversation when you're dating, and one of our conversations, like, what do you think our family's gonna like? Like, how many kids do you want? That kind of thing, and we both wanted three kids. And, and was, she said, well, what do you think about adoption? And this in the Korean community, normally adoption's sort of like, on, n- not option number one. <laughs> Uh, And so she's coming from that, and she was worried about, you know, uh, if someone else would be open to adoption. And and my whole life, you know, I'm absolutely open to adoption. My older brother's adopted, and so like it's part of my life. And and as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great plan for family buildings. So we felt like God was asking us to adopt even before we were married, if we had gotten married. And then so uh, we trusted the... God and we're like, okay, at some point maybe in our relationship we will adopt. So Ethan is born, and then a few years later, like we felt that it was time. Uh, there were some situations that happened in life, uh, some difficult stuff, and then we just felt like it was time that God wanted us to adopt. So we trusted that He wanted us to, and and we believed that He wanted us to. But uh, at that time, adoption took about thirty thousand bucks, <laughs> and we did not have thirty thousand bucks. We had about 1,000 bucks. So we were like, well, God, we really think you want us to do this. So the application, well, I think, was $250, and the first, the first paperwork was like another $750. So we had about uh, enough money to get to, through the first week of an adoption, you know. And we said, okay, well, you know what, God? We think you want us to do this. We're going to start the process. We're just going to go for it. We're going to trust you, and we're going to obey. And we're going to just step into this, and so we stepped into it, and then you know uh, it comes in tiers. You have to give a certain amount, and then like a few months later, you have to pay the gov- our U.S. government, for citizenship stuff, and then you have to pay, you know, uh, adoption fees for the uh, organization, and then you have to pay uh, country fees when you go to that country. And we never had the money. Never once did we have thirty thousand dollars. We had a thousand. And then when $3,000 was due, we had $3,000. And then when the next you know, $850 was due, we had 850 And so this, over this process of two years, every few months or so, God gave us the amount that we needed to go to the next step, and that's it. He didn't give us the full amount ever until we got to the end, and then the full amount was paid through various people, through friends, through organizations, through church, through all, all sorts of means God provided But if we had waited for God to give us $30,000 first, we would have missed the miracle. We would have missed out on the adoption because that's not what God was doing. God was saying, trust me and obey. And if we would have waited, we would have missed one of the greatest blessings in our life, our daughter Kayla. She's She's like the best thing that happened to you. If you know her, she's the best part of our family. If you've met my sons and me and my wife... She's the best part of our family. Now, maybe someday I could have adopted again if I saved up enough money, but it wouldn't have been her. Perhaps the greatest kid on the planet. Our greatest miracle. Love you, boys, but... Always honest at church. We would have missed out on this miracle if we didn't trust and obey. God asks for both. Sometimes we just say, God, I believe, and I'll wait for you to fully provide it, then I'll obey. That's not how God works. God says, you trust, you obey, then I'll provide. In life, if we want to see God's provision, we want to see his protection, we want to see his miraculous work, then we've got to trust, obey. We have to have faith and action. So what's God calling you to? Now, that's a really exciting question. It, and, and a little bit scary. Would you even be, are you even open to saying, God, what do you want me to do? Now, that's a scary proposition. Don't ask if you're not willing to do it, because if he tells you and you don't do it, then you're in a worse place than when you started. But maybe it'd be like, if you get to that place where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask God, what do you want? And he's like, boom. Like, well, not that one. God, what's option B? <laughs> There's no option B. He says, I've got a miracles for you. You're going to step into it. Now, maybe you haven't even asked about it, so maybe today is about you asking, God, what's the miracle you want to do? God, I want to be open to that. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to open my hands in faith. God, what do you want from me? How could I step out in faith to you, God. Would you speak to me? What are you calling me to do? Because it's got to be God calling you. It can't be like the pastor said or like you read online something cool or something like that. It can't be any of that. It has to be God asking you to do something. Otherwise, it's not God's miraculous provision. It's just some other sort of thing going on. So how does God want you to move next? Have we even asked him? Are we willing to even ask him? And if not, if you haven't asked him, maybe it's time that you do. And if he speaks, it's time for you to move in trust and obedience. So that's my encouragement today, that we would join in asking. Maybe, maybe you know already, like God's been saying all this sermon, he's been telling you like something that you know you've been, he's been calling to you and you've been scared, and so you already know what the answer is. And I want to invite you to start to just pray about that. God, give me the strength to have faith. And obedience but maybe you haven't even asked so I want to give you the opportunity to say that God I, I don't know what this is going to do but I'm going to ask what do you want from me God what are you calling me to do next how do you want me to move because I want to be part of your miracles and your provisions and so would you just stand with me right now in God's presence now if you're able to stand if you're not able to stand that's okay and let's just take a moment to ask that question to consider if we're trusting and obeying maybe we're doing neither Maybe we're just doing one of the two. We're trying to obey, but we don't really trust God. Maybe, maybe we trust God, but we're not doing anything about it. But perhaps, perhaps we're, we're doing both, and we're going to see God's miracles because we're trusting and obeying. And, and so would you just take a minute, just between you and God, and say, God... I know what it is you want, if you know, and just pray that through. And if you don't want no, just say, God, I want to be open. How do you want to move next in my life? When you, would you pray that? And then we're going to seek God in this and then worship together.